Hey listeners, group social media editor Miranda Schmolf is here. As you may or may not have heard, Meg is no longer with Pharmaceutical Executive, but she'll appear in the next few episodes as they were pre-recorded. Enjoy! Welcome to this episode of the Pharma Exec Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, the Managing Editor of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. The Pharma Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, I speak with Paul Biondi and we discuss quite a lot about creating companies, partnering with companies. If you guys aren't familiar with his company, it's Flagship Pioneering. They also have another company called Pioneering Medicines, and they talk about how they partner with a lot of big pharma to start the company. They specifically worked with Moderna. They're working with Pfizer as well. So he has a lot of great insights. Highly recommend tuning in. But before we get to the episode, let's first hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with the interview. Hey there, Andy Studnett, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Paul, thank you so very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Meg, for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Let's jump right into the questions. Flagship is a venture creation company that has founded companies like Moderna. So to get things started, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself and the company? Sure. Yeah. So I joined Flagship a little over three and a half years ago at the end of 2019 as an executive partner, as well as to head up a new initiative, strategic initiative we had called Pioneering Medicines, which we can talk a little bit about during our conversation. Yeah, flagship is really kind of a unique place in that, and you you phrased it right in that the term of kind of venture creation. We both found companies, do our own IP in founding those companies through a, a proprietary process that begins with always with a famous question in our world called what if, you know, what if, you know, messenger RNA could be a therapeutic, which was not quite the question that was asked uh, for Moderna, but uh, not too far off. And it's that idea to think about into these sort of interesting white spaces to think about the possibility to of a technology to create a therapeutic platform that ultimately we can turn into then the venture creation side of it, which is, hey, how, if, if we go through a series of testing, how could we create that into a viable company that ultimately could create medicines for patients? And that has sort of been the, the mission of Flagship for really well over two decades now. What's interesting too, that I came in to help, and the CEO is Nubar Afan, and he really had a vision to say, okay, we built now this kind of ecosystem of different platform companies, bioplatform companies. And he was asking himself with his other partners, hey, how could we take more advantage of the platforms we've created? How could we essentially take these platforms and create more medicines off of them? And, you know, originally, I think he had hoped that he could do more with large pharma companies. And that's how actually I got to know him and flagship itself, which was I used to be at Bristol Myers Squibb, both on the, uh, running kind of business development and strategy for the company, as well as on earlier than that, I was on the R&D side. 
So got to understand sort of these bio platforms. And, and a lot of times because they're in such innovative areas, it takes a while for a large pharmaceutical company to really get its head around like, hey, how, how would you take advantage of this? So he thought to himself, you know, one thing is I'd love to work more with those type of companies, but recognizing given the innovative and the earliness of some of our companies that maybe having an entity within flagship that could interface with those would be one way to facilitate that. But more importantly, I think he also recognized that this idea that you create, that how do you create more parallel programs on the platforms at the same time? Because for our companies, when we get them started, you know, like any company, when they get started, it needs to have some focus, but yet these platforms could be broadly applied. So part of the pioneering medicines idea was, hey, what if we built a group that could in work in parallel to our management teams to try to develop more products on the platforms? And in doing that also perhaps engender a means to create partnerships with large pharmaceutical companies. Out of curiosity, and if you're able to share about how many companies do you work with in the pharma or life sciences space? We work really very broadly. Like we have regular touch points, I would say, with all the major pharma companies. And throughout our ecosystem, we have a number of different relationships, whether that's, for example, Generate Therapeutics has a relationship with Amgen or KSQ with Decada, et cetera. So many of our companies have partnerships. Through Pioneering Medicines, actually, we've been very successful, actually, in putting together three major partnerships that have been our focus. The very first one we did was with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and they kind of came to us. They're a very unique foundation in that they were instrumental in seed funding the very, very early on. The, the current treatments are, I would call it the standard of care today, which is a triple combination of small molecules that was developed and is now commercialized by Vertex to help people with cystic fibrosis. And they've been revolutionary in terms of the impact. Unfortunately, they only affect one single mutation. And, and yet people with cystic fibrosis, there are many, many, many mutations. So there's sort of a tale there of unfortunate people with cystic fibrosis that don't have any effective treatments. And yet they can see the benefit of this one amazing treatment if you happen to have this one mutation. So they, through that early seed funding, were able to convert and create a sizable endowment to try to then continue to help more patients there. So they came to us and said, hey, we think some of the solutions here must be through kind of programmable medicines, which is a particular area of strength for flagship. So that was an early on collaboration where we said, hey, we pioneering medicines can work with multiple companies within our ecosystem. In this case, Tessera Therapeutics, which was focused on gene writers, Laurent Therapeutics, which is doing eRNA, endless RNA, which is a kind of a new form of RNA that uh, we believe has some unique benefits as well as then looking at some of the potential delivery sides of how to get that into essentially other organs like the lung and other organs that people with cystic fibrosis are affected by. So that's been an interesting example. So we started there. We then went on to uh, really, I think, form a unique partnership with Novo Nordisk that we're really proud of that we've been doing for a little over or almost two years now with them, which has been really getting together with them to focus on their areas of interest and saying, hey, could we have a joint collaboration process to jointly conceive of new product concepts that, that they would really be interested in seeing developed that leverage a lot of the bioplatforms that we have available that they don't you know, normally have access to. And to work with Pioneering Medicines as the primary kind of development partner so that we can say, hey, we know all of our companies and all the platforms in our ecosystem. You tell us what you're interested in trying to solve for and, and we can contribute our ideas. But more importantly, we can tell you what technologies we think would make the most sense. 
And then we can work both with Novo and with our platform companies to ensure sort of success in advancing that. And we're getting very close, I think, to launching the, the first two programs out of that initiative. And then most recently, we did something with a major new collaboration with Pfizer. And very excited about that. Different in that it's kind of scale and scope of what we want to do. They have real sense of urgency to like, again, how do we think about going and helping broader sets of patients uh, with some of the novel technologies that we have in the areas of interest they have. We both got together and said, okay, we'll, let's, let's both put money in. So we both put in $50 million for a collective of $100 million to then come up with ideas and test some of those ideas to come up with 10 novel new medicines that we wanted then advance into the clinic and uh, take forward with them in, you know, essentially many of the areas of interest, which could be in kind of a general internal medicines area, which would be, you know, a lot of the primary care populations out there, as well as they have strong areas of interest in oncology and immunology, as well as uh, vaccines and infectious diseases. So we're just kicking that off. We just announced that recently and uh, really excited about, you know, their interest and in, and again, how we can apply both, I think, the capabilities of pioneering medicines, but also leverage all of the technologies within our ecosystem. That actually goes into one of the questions I had for you. So just jumping ahead a little bit, what factors do you consider when deciding whether or not to work with a pharmaceutical company like your partnership with Pfizer or Novo Nordisk? Is it like you have the technologies, you uh, like you're excited about their scientific vision? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we we look for a couple of things and, and each of the partnerships is, is slightly different and has, you know, kind of a different intent. But I, I think first and foremost, is there kind of an aligned strategic vision of what we're trying to get done? And that takes a view of from their side to say, hey, there are things that we would like to do. And biology we'd like to go after that we don't think we can do with just what we have internally. And, you know, we want to, I think, collaborate in a very kind of bold and strategic way to really kind of tackle some big problems. And that general sense of that's what we like to do at Flagship and looking for a like-minded partner in, in doing that and, and being kind of innovative and, and the scale and scope of how we want to kind of collaborate. I think the next thing, which is, you know, a sense of where there's, you know, very clear synergies between us, where somebody can bring kind of kind of a deep insight and area in which they would really like to see new things happen, new medicines be created. And where we believe strongly that, hey, our the technologies that we have and the platforms and companies that we've created really would be a good mix. And lastly, is a, a bit more of an intangible piece. There's just the sort of good chemistry between, you know, kind of leadership of, of both sides, which is these kind of partnerships require just a, like a high degree of trust. You know, you can't, you know, come up with every contingency and write a contract for, you know, everything that has to go on. You know, you, it has to be kind of a belief of, hey, that the nature of this relationship and, and the partnership is what is going to motivate us over the long term to really try to come up with medicines. And that that kind of chemistry and how we work together and how we see the future and willingness to you know take risk and progress things is I think where you know we've been excited really with all the partnerships that we've had and you know certainly I love the passion and the mission of the foundation at Cystic Fibrosis Foundation um, you know they're just really focused on how to help people with cystic fibrosis and bring a lot to the table in doing that not not just even money but 
you know, they bring capability and insights and, you know, you know, a passion for this, um, which is so motivating to, to my team and all of us at, at flagship, you know, no Nordisk, I think I really appreciated their willingness to take, to do something really different. I think a sense of like, Hey, this is important to us that we, you know, have this relationship and, you know, and trust and get access to the things that we can bring to bear, you know, while at the same time wanting kind of a very close, you know, co-creation model um, going forward. And then, you know, meeting with, with Pfizer was, you know, they, uh, you know, really just brought a kind of a boldness and, and sense of urgency to what they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it was really kind of gratifying both the speed in which we put that collaboration together. I think the, the innovative aspects that they wanted to do in terms of not only where to focus, but also and how the actual collaboration would work. And so it's been, you know, it's been really gratifying to find like-minded partners and we're really happy with how it's progressing. So if I can read between the lines here, it sounds like in order to, I don't know, identify a company and have them stand out perhaps as compared to other companies, maybe like a shared vision, technologies where you feel like you can align. Is that, am I getting, am I picking up what you're putting down? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think it's the shared vision. I think it's the sense of purpose and, hey, how is this going to jointly, you know, be successful for both of us? You know, mm -hmm. we obviously want to you know, help our companies, you know, take these platforms and make them successful. And, and they want to pull that into this, essentially their portfolios and drive them forward. And then the last piece was just, yeah, this kind of, you know, sense of chemistry and kind of, you know, just leadership alignment is I think the third piece. I love that. So we've talked about collaborations. I want to start, you know, to talk now about founding a company, starting a company. What does the process of founding a company look like for Flagship? Does the idea or the science come first and then you find the right people to spearhead it? Is it vice versa different? I'm, I'm curious what that looks like. Yeah. So within Flagship, uh, there's a series of what we call origination teams. There are these pioneering business units and they're led by folks like Avak Kervajian or Jeff and Meltzen. And uh, they have teams of people that think every day about, okay, what if I could create this? You know, would, would that have value? You know, back again to the Moderna example, or well, let me take a different example since we already talked about that. Um, you know, one of the what ifs was, done by uh, a Vox team and they asked themselves, okay, we have, Flagship has a lot of experience in, in building up companies in the microbiome. So in this case, you have what's commensural bacteria, right? Bacteria in your gut and all in your body, right? That are, that are helping us live and thrive. So when that gets disrupted, the thought was, hey, how could we restore that? And a company like Series Therapeutics and it even has an uh, recently has an approved product in this space to help people with uh, C. diff is an example. So that led to a related question, which is, hey, there must be commensural viruses, right? Not every virus that we have is pathological that, you know, it's causing us a disease. There must be, there must be viruses within us that have coexisted and um, are symbiotic and if not helpful in, in what we do. And sure enough, you know, they went and, you know, found that is the case. Some of it, there's a little bit perhaps in the literature when you first get started. It's not an area that people like to study because, most of the funding goes after viruses that are dangerous, right? And, you know, that we want to treat. In this case, you know, in looking at that and finding and then doing their own experiments to say, hey, there, there, there are actually, a, you know, thousands of these viruses. And the interesting thing about them, they have two interesting properties when then you start to think about, hey, could this be a drug platform? Could you use these essentially as a viral vector to, to deliver genetic medicines? Because the challenge in some of what's happening today with viral vectors is, 
of course, there's an immune response to many viruses. <laughs> um, you know, we fight them, you know, as we all are aware in COVID hard, but in a conventional virus, right, that that's not the case. The, the immune system is, you know, um, already comfortable, if you will, you know, and, and doesn't attack these. So that allows you to redose them. The second is that this idea of tropism, i.e. that they exist in certain, uh, you know, organs of the body naturally, and will go there if reintroduced. So that's the kind of example of, of looking at that saying, okay, if that is true, and it is true, then how could we take advantage of that? How could you use that to a therapeutic effect? And there was a company called Ring Therapeutics that has gone through this process. So it starts with just a simple idea, this what if statement, and it's sort of a more of a mental exercise, a whiteboard exercise, and then trying to challenge that idea, a series of conversation to say, oh, okay, you know, is there a there there, right? You know, do, do they really exist? If they exist, how do they exist? And then testing that to the point in which they figured out, hey, this, this could actually be a viable company because if these things were true, we can see value in having that, that uh, these, what they're called anello viruses and harnessing their powers for therapeutic good. So I, I use that kind of long example because I think it helps you understand like, so we do these all the time. These, these processes are going on constantly within flagship and are the basis of us founding, you know, uh, coming up with IP, then thinking about um, kind of a disciplined stage gate process to say, okay, did we answer enough questions? Should we put more money in? Should we invest more? Should we put a management team in? Should we, you know, does this thing have legs as an actual company that we think can create value? And um, that's the sort of venture creation aspect of what we do. The other piece I'll just mention, which is there's then a vision of like, hey, this is a long-term commitment to this. I mean, Moderna, you know, I think has been in existence, you know, 12, 13, 14 years at this point. You know, it was a long journey before the tremendous success they had with COVID. And you can see that now in the other things that they're doing, right? The cancer vaccine breakthrough that they had, as well as other, you know, therapeutic vaccines and other products that they're pursuing. So flagship is, we also kind of have a long-term view of like, hey, you build these platforms for the long-term. I love that. There's an old expression, which is something to the effect of it's a, a marathon, not a sprint. So I feel yes. like pharma is very much a marathon. But uh, my next question for you is, where do you see science booming in pharma right now? And do you anticipate more companies will be created within the space? This is one of the most exciting periods since I've been in the industry, you know, which is going on, you know, kind of over 20 years now. And it's really a, con a convergence, I think, of, of multiple factors. One is just there over really the last 20 years, just been a tremendous insight into, you know, human biology. And that a lot of that has been deconvoluting and understanding, you know, how is it that you can harness, you know, our basic, you know, genetic uh, makeup and um, both manipulate that and correct it and uh, take advantage for it, you know, in pursuit of human health and uh, prevention of disease. So that I think is probably the, the fundamental basis of so much that has led us think, to an explosion of what I call modalities. So i.e., new ways in which you can go after drugs. So when I was at Bristol-Myers Squibb, for example, when I first got there, it was primarily like many pharma companies, the small molecules, right? It was all chemistry, synthetic molecules. That was the basis of trying to go after different biology. And then there was the biotech revolution, right? Where people figured out that, hey, you can actually use proteins, monoclonal antibodies specifically, as a major therapeutic modality. And that opened up a whole new section, right? Because for a long time, biology knew like, hey, these are the reasons that we have disease. We just had no way to actually drug it, quote unquote, to go after it, to, to modify it, to impact it, to correct it. 
And then over the last several years, you've just now you have, you know, 10, 12 different modalities, right? That that actually have approved products. So these have gone all the way through the process of validating themselves as the ways in which you can, you know, drug and modify human diseases. So that is just going to be an explosion of productivity, you know, going across it. Now it presents some of its own challenges in trying to think through like, you know, how can we scale those things? Um, and take advantage of it. And, you know, things like the COVID vaccine, I think are a great example of where that having access to that modality, in this case, you know, mRNA-based vaccines allowed for an amazing transformation of uh, creating a vaccine for humanity that would have taken years, right? And millions of people, um, unfortunately, dying without that happening. And, and it's sort of having that possibility, right? Having all these different modalities to say, oh, okay, if that's the problem, let's use this, you know, let's use this tool. Instead of having just two tools, hey, if you had 10 or 12, right, you can see the, the just the exponential benefit of having that. So that, that I think is incredibly exciting and also lends itself to why biotech and pharma, you know, really do need to work together as you're seeing even more so in the ecosystem. The last piece I think is just the impact of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I mean, it's it's hard to understate just how impactful that will be to the industry in just transforming all aspects of what we do, because this is a highly, you know, data dense and rich piece that, you know, which is not necessarily where human beings are, you know, naturally the strongest and having an ability to augment and take advantage to see patterns to, you know, to understand things, whether that's how one designs a protein or a small molecule or how one gets to a biological insight that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten to, or this is the ability to process, you know, reams of information that, you know, exist either in large language models or just in data sets. I mean, that I think it's just going to break open and, and we're already, you know, the productivity again of the ability to create new drugs. And you're already seeing it, you know, in the creation of of novel proteins and the and the ways in which we're starting to get after and understand biology that we never understood before. Out of curiosity, as far as kind of where biotech and biopharma might be headed, do you think there's going to be more mRNA vaccines or more cell and gene therapies or more MABs or like a new type of technology, if you will? Like, I feel like I've heard a lot of specifically MABs, uh, CGTs and um, mRNA vaccines. So I'm very curious. Yeah, I, I think you'll see a couple of things. One is, you know, I think in the traditional, quote unquote, modalities I mentioned, like chemistry and proteins, because of the impact of AIML, I, I think that that's going to just continue to make those modalities both more productive, i.e. you can do them quicker, faster, and more successful, for sure. And I'm seeing that in our companies, like I sit on the board of Velo Health. That's a good example where, you know, we're applying both clinical data sets as well as in silico design of small molecules, you know, and just doing things much faster and an ability to discover targets in a way that's more human centric. So for sure, I think in traditional modalities, that will have a huge impact. I, th I think, you know, we're just sort of now scraping the surface of these, what I'll call, you know, either programmable medicines or genetic medicines. This is the, you know, not just mRNA, but other types of, you know, RNA and or DNA, which I think we've got a company that's focused on transfer RNA and it has different properties and will allow you to drug different things called Alterna. You know, these type of breakthroughs, I think we're just starting to get there because there's, there's both what I call the payload side of this, hey, the ability to kind of program, you know, and go in and potentially fix and correct for areas where our, you know, genetics are leading to disease. 
The other aspect is this idea of like, hey, I need to get into different tissue types. So an explosion in the technology is looking at the delivery of those programmable medicines. You know, today, most of like when you mRNA, you know, right now, for the most part, just goes into people's liver. There's a few other, you know, cell types that people are experimenting with immune cell types and people trying to get, as I said, get it into the lungs. But, you know, that has a way just to go. And, but once we kind of break through getting these medicines into different cell types and, you know, continue to optimize them, like you've seen in the traditional modalities, I think you're going to just see tremendous applications kind of going forward. So I think that those will be the big trends. You know, you'll see just an explosion in these kind of programmable medicines, you know, the manipulation of RNA, DNA, and I think the impact of AI and ML onto the traditional modalities will also lead to, you know, not only kind of an enhancement from a productivity perspective, but I think also new forms, you know, new ways of combining, creating proteins that perhaps had never been thought about before. Same with chemicals and unlocking ways in which chemicals we didn't think could be applied, but but now can because we have all these amazing data sets and ML engines that say, hey, here's a way that you can do it. I love that. So I'd like to talk about therapeutic areas. So how does your company go about deciding whether to found a company who's looking to launch innovations, maybe in a, in an existing space where there's already a lot of treatments versus pursuing innovations in an untapped space? So do you solely focus on the potential capabilities of the platform technology, regardless of what uh, space uh, it can be used in? Yeah, so it's more the latter. You know, I think we ask ourselves, hey, can we can we create these bio platforms? And and they tend to have two flavors or a mix. One one flavor could be what we call like big biology, right? They're they're looking, saying, uncovering a whole aspect of biology that's not necessarily therapeutically focused. It's sort of just an, you know looking for more foundational kind of either like a pathway or a fundamental understanding of multiple diseases. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is like I was saying, hey, essentially creating a new therapeutic class, a la mRNA or like anelloviruses or the microbiome, you know, things that where we, you know, look at and say, hey, we can create a new platform of drug types uh, to get after some of that big biology. And then of course, there's the mixture of both. There's a second step in the process that then we sit back and ask ourselves, okay, where, where would be the best, you know, application of that technology, that bio platform? Where, where would it, you know, have the biggest impact on disease? And typically the platforms that we build could be widely applied. And that's, to be honest with you, one of the challenges that, you know, we have, which is how to choose the area that you think makes the most sense. There's always a need to try to say, hey, you know, this is a, this is a brand new area uh, in white space. It's never been done before. So, you know, part of the thought process you have is, okay, well, where can I validate that this approach will work? You know, what would make the most sense? And then trying to balance that with, well, where is the biggest unmet need? Like where, you know, where do we need new therapies or breakthroughs that haven't been done with some of the older approaches? And that is a whole process of then trying to design and create these different portfolios. Part of what pioneering medicines does and and what we do at flagship is to try to think about hey, how could we have even more opportunities to, to leverage that technology into multiple therapeutic areas and, and to try to bring the platform beyond its initial focus? Because you know the, the management team that's, that's in the company themselves, we want them to be focused and choose a few areas and you know, kind of drive you know, programs uh, forward to both demonstrate that technology works, but also to create you know, um, important new drugs. 
you know, and then we can work in parallel with them. I have a team of, you know, that aren't focused on bio platforms. They are focused on being highly expert drug discoverers and developers and looking in, and we say sort of orthogonally versus we look at a disease area and say, hmm, what, what are the unmet needs in this disease? And then think to ourselves, as you think about one of those areas, you know, how could we apply some of our technologies to unlock that? Which is different than if you're in a in a platform company, a bio platform company, thinking about, okay, I've I've got this platform. How do I apply it? Sort of platform out versus kind of disease in. So we think between the two of those, that will allow us to, you know, more successfully develop these platforms and bring more, you know, medicines to patients. So it's one thing to start or purchase a company, and I feel like it's quite another to achieve commercial success. What are some signs that a company will achieve commercial success from early on or honestly, whenever, if there are any signs? And how does flagship work with pioneering medicines to couple innovation with commercialization? Yeah, I think it's a little bit back to the process I just described in terms of this idea of, hey, we take a step back and think to ourselves, okay, here's a fascinating technology, right, that we know has multiple applications. And part of it is thinking, going through all the list of potential options from a therapeutic perspective of, hey, where where are there some areas of unmet need and innovation categories sort of within a disease, you know, that we could perhaps uniquely tackle? You know, here's an example. So when you look at, there's been a lot about uh, the impact in obesity recently, right, from the um, tremendous gains that you see with GLP-1s that started with the Novo Nordisk and, and others. And you know, you, that has opened up a whole area, but that there's kind of one axis that that's been attacking, which is satiety, right? It sort of, it goes in and, and helps your body, you know, essentially not be hungry. There's another aspect that you can look at and say, Hey, are there ways in which I could actually increase my metabolism so that actually I, you know, if you will, I, my engine revs at a higher rate. And so you, you know, you're basically consuming more calories because your body's very interesting, right? It can modulate and actually lower your, your caloric burn if it thinks you're in a starvation mode, right? So as you diet, this is the most frustrating thing to people that do diet, which is your body self-corrects and says, oh, okay, I have less food. I should lower my, my burn rate, you know? And so one aspect of this is we've thought about, which is, hey, are there ways in which you could increase your metabolism? So, you know, that's an example of them taking a step back saying, hey, let's look at across all the different technologies we have. Could, if there's biology there, could we unlock that? Or is that a rich area to try to mine that biology and understand, is there a way to do that? So I think that those are good examples in my mind of trying to think about innovation categories, which is, hey, if I could solve that, is there a big value pool out there to go after? And, you know, that is part of the process that we go through very, very early on, you know, both in thinking about the platform itself, but then in thinking about the actual application of the platforms into new medicines you know, would they create the optionality to say, boy, if I could do that, then, you know, I could, I could help these patients and these patients and these patients, and I could really unlock a whole area of value kind of going forward. So it's part of the original strategic process. You know, as you go along, you sort of see two things. One, the products themselves that you're creating, you know, you can test for and look for, hey, is that meeting the profile that I know is needed in the marketplace? And, and that marketplace, if you will, you know, is constantly evolving, right? The, the area of, you know, unmet needs in medicine and the application of it. And part of it is you unlock different aspects of the platform itself. Like, oh, okay, I can now, you know, take genetic medicines and put them into the lung, right? If we did that, okay, if we can do that for cystic fibrosis, well, 
boy, there's lots of other diseases of the lung, right? If I could go in there that are also based upon perhaps not having the right protein, you know, if I could get in there and, and do a different protein, could I also help people with asthma, with COPD, with, you know, name, you know, your different, uh, you know, IPF, I mean, all these different lung diseases. So that's an example of when you can see that you have a technological unlock that then would allow you to branch into all these different unmet needs in different disease areas. Awesome. So before we get to our leadership tip for this episode, are there any final thoughts or things that you want to share that maybe we haven't gone over yet? Um, no, actually, we've, we've covered, you know, kind of a wide range. I think you've gotten a good sense of flagship as a venture creation entity where we really think about this idea of building bio platforms. And I've just been talking about the therapeutic space. We have another branch that actually thinks about this and the sustainability, mm. you know, against agriculture and, and solving problems in the environment. And, uh, and on top of that, just sort of our mental model for, hey, how do we think about working within the industry and pioneering medicines as a way to, to both work within, you know, uh, large pharmaceutical companies in the industry to kind of bring them in and help us exploit what we think are these tremendous innovations from a bio platform perspective, as well as, you know, think about how is it that we ourselves could, you know, go through and, and build within flagship with in partnership with our companies. And all of it is based really on a collaborative model. You know, it is kind of the heart. And when I hire people into pioneering medicines, I'm like, you have to really be up for, you know, working in a highly collaborative space, right? It's not just, hey, we're going to control this and just do it all ourselves. It's fundamentally, we're going to work with one of our bio platforms. And then on top of that, we may work with an industry partner and a strategic partner and being comfortable in doing that. It's funny you said that because as I was listening to you speak, I'm like, your company is basically like, you know, group projects. You know, the people growing up in school feel like group projects. <laughs> it's a place to be with all the collaborations. It's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting piece, you know, and I think that learning how to be comfortable with that, because actually a lot of scientific training is very individualistic, right? Whether you train to be a physician, you know, that often can be a very individualistic thing or whether you, you know, want to be a PhD and you're going to go incredibly deep in one particular area. You know, these are things that I think you have to also get this kind of cross-functional training and drug development unto itself is the ultimate team exercise. I mean, you need such a variety of different skill sets, both scientific skill sets and in many different varieties of scientific capabilities. But on top of that, you also need, you know, people with financial acumen and strategic acumen and commercial acumen. And, you know, bringing all of these together, I've always found is so rewarding to see that kind of when a team comes together and you create a new medicine, particularly when you create it in an area that you know, has never been done before. I mean, I saw this in the immuno-oncology space where, you know, really for the first time you could get to almost functional cures of a disease because you, you know, basically got somebody's immune system to fight cancer and it can do that in a way that no drug could ever do, you know? So, you know, those type, or what's happened now with, you know, in the mRNA space and, you know, what happened in the COVID, you know, scenario, it's just, these are fascinating things to be a part of. And it, it's great to see a huge team effort, right? I mean, these are, you know, oftentimes hundreds of people that come together to make these things successful. All right. So let's get to the leadership tip uh, portion of today's episode. What is one leadership lesson that you'd like to share? This could be for fellow colleagues, a younger version of yourself, something you wish you knew, et cetera. You know, the one thing I often say to people that this took me a while to do, and I and I see it in others, is as you get more senior and and to your point about, hey, these are huge collaborative efforts, right? That require teams. But but ultimately, I think to be a successful leader, you have to be comfortable delegating and letting others, you know, really do things with your direction. And, you know, I, I see oftentimes people, you know, they get to where they 
are in their successful early point of their career based on their own capabilities. And they get used to doing things the way that they do them. And, you know, and they sort of see that as the only successful way to do things. And you have to make a transition at some point to say, hey, I'm going to provide direction on this. And perhaps somebody's going to do something not exactly the way that I would do it, but this actually works. And, and that's okay. And that comfort with allowing people to do it the way they're going to do it, that that's essentially just as good as, as the way you would have done it. It may be different, but it's perhaps just as effective or sometimes even more effective. And, and just getting comfortable with that, I think is, you know, one thing I would say to people as, as you get up, learning to kind of delegate and be comfortable, allowing people to do things perhaps the way that they do it and not always requiring it done the way you want it done, as long as you have the right end in mind and trying to direct them to that without sort of overly prescribing how they do it. I think is one of, one of the big leadership lessons that took me a while to figure that out early on in my career and prevents you from taking a piece of work that somebody's done for you and then redoing it. You know, if you find yourself doing that a lot or, you know, you know, dramatically editing something or changing it, then you're, then you're probably not comfortable with how you can leverage people. And you'll, you just, you'll, you'll never be able to kind of scale your own leadership capabilities. So that's maybe my one lesson. I love it. Thank you so much, Paul. That is all the questions I have for you today. I really appreciate your joining me on the podcast and hope to chat with you again soon. Great, Meg. This is really fun talking to you and thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube at Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.